Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Survival was a much larger task in the ancient world than it is today. This fact is exemplified in numerous ways looking back at cultural mythologies throughout the world. We see the importance of gods and goddesses who can lead, who are wise, who provide, and who can conquer. Today we took a look at the latter, gods of war. Okay, so we've we've looked at god, you know, kings of the gods. We've looked at goddesses of wisdom, yeah. um, and you know, really, probably the ones that the kind of gods that stick out most in in mythologies are the gods of war. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the god kings are are pretty pretty prevalent, but um, gods of war are usually right behind them. And in some cases, like with the Norse mythology. Um, they're really not inseparable, almost. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they they aren't, and they're and they're as you know. There's more, and many systems have more than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God of War, which which attests to the the attraction to a particular culture of that of that idea. But we also have to confess we're reading as youngsters, uh, which is an old word, isn't it? But anyway, we're we're reading uh, stories. We can read love stories and okay, and creation stories, and that's kind of cool, but sort of, but then ah, battles, and then we, <laughs> and that's unfortunately that's still something that that pulls us uh, into a narrative. Why do you think that is? What is that about? You know, even with the day and age we live in and whatnot, you know, a lot of children's toys are still centered around violence or conflict or. I think well, what is it about that 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 appeals to people? You know, I, I, there are so many possible answers, and I, can, I, I, I think that embedded in our very beings are, uh, is this embrace of conflict. Um, we, it's not that we always seek it, but our metaphors, our, our language is laced with the um, the words of war. Uh, everyone wants to be a warrior, or, or if you're uh, telling, uh, talking to somebody who's gone through a bad time, you know, you're being a warrior, or you're, you're doing battle with something, or fighting this, or, you know. And you know, as a true warrior, that, 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 that term gets used in all the different iterations that it arises in. But it's, I mean, conflict is the very nature of storytelling. We don't have a conflict. We don't have a story, really. And right. it doesn't have to be a war-level conflict, but... Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good explanation because, I mean, I think at first blush, you know, if you're going to kind of look at um, a socio-evolutionary view of humans through a Socratic lens, you're going to say, okay, well, um, you know, probably the biological... Um, drive or, or inner, you know, state of humans is of life in general is to mm-hmm. reproduce. So you'd almost think that like a lot of a lot of you know play storytelling metaphors, all those things would involve would really involve more <laughs> love or yes. you know a, a theme like that. But yep. I think that the reason that that probably isn't the case, it probably doesn't have much to do with. It could, you know, I'm sure it has something to do with maybe social mores and that sort of stuff. But I think it might even have more to do with a point that you brought up, which is that 
you know, reproduction and, and, and love and those sorts of things, that tends to be um, a, a more single solitary occurrence, whereas conflict is a daily thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and even among those sorts of things. So, even if you look at reproduction as as the act and then the raising of a child, that can that can be a day to day thing. But even within that relationship, there's conflict. So, there, you know, there, conflict there, does yes. really seem to be um, something even more so than um, you know life's uh, ability to want to reproduce, to you know propagate and do these things. Conflict really is even deeper embedded in life than than those sorts of things i think so yeah yeah um so anyways i guess that's sort of a tangent right we, <laughs> yeah that's okay but you remember i did how many times have i have i said and used them use this metaphor probably wrongly but i still like it well, what's a tangent a tangent is a line <laughs> that connects two points uh that, that intersects with circles so really a tangent is a straight line so if you go off on a tangent you're going on a straight line right yeah so so yeah. <laughs> we're getting somewhere. Uh, I think so. <laughs> All right. So talking about gods of war, um, something that pops up a little bit is um, kind of with like the goddesses of wisdom. They're they're a pretty diverse group of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know what we'll see is as we start looking at these guys, we'll see that um, again there isn't a real template. To them, and I think part of that is kind of like you mentioned. The majority of these cultures have multiple war gods, so these guys that we're looking at—they're not the be-all, end-all of of war gods. No, no, no. And they they more represent a an, a facet or an aspect of war. Um, and I tried to kind of choose them in such a way that they represent different aspects. Yeah, I like your choices. Their, I think they're they're very they're diverse. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, as we're going through that, I'm sure that that will come up, um, you know, like looking at Ares and Athena are a pretty good example because, you know, a lot of these guys, there's multiple war gods. Probably the closest to having, you know, just two would be the Greeks. You have Ares and you have Athena yeah. where, you know, they really represent, you know, Ares is kind of the the brutal, yes. realistic, you know, kind of in the heat of the moment war and Athena is more kind of that the strategic you know Mm -hmm. conflict you know kind of aspect of it yeah so we'll get in we'll see all that as we get into it um and as well as we'll see the crossover like i was mentioning in the beginning where some of these war gods um are bear a lot of resemblance to the god kings yes you know so and are, are and in some cases directly related to them of course yeah 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 i'm the son of the king and therefore i'm right right and um yeah, so they're they're an interesting group, um, and they're also, you know, pretty. Um, there's some themes to these guys as we go into it, and a lot of them um, are pretty deep. They, there's oh, yeah. there's some things where you you see it and you think, oh, wow, like what is this? What is this trying to say? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some interesting messages there. And, Very much so. Very you know, it's so. it's it's kind of a metaphorical or it's it's in sort of an analogy to what we were just talking about how you know if you if you're just looking at life purely biologically and you're trying to determine what the root causes for some behavior are you and you see conflict is really one of it has to be one of those first most integral parts of being even alive mm-hmm. i think some of these 
some of these tropes or some of these things that you see reflected in the iconography of these war gods um, is very similar. You know, mm-hmm. something I said, this is very integral and very um, visceral to being um, a war god in a culture, you know. Okay, what, what weaponry is associated with you? Why that particular thing? What, what could that, re- you know, the, yeah. Those yeah, are, yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's jump in. Well, we'll start with Ares. All right. Um, sticking with our theme. So um, <laughs> why don't you give us the background on, on Ares? All right. Well, so 12 gods, well, 12, 12 gods, goddesses who are the, the progeny of Hera and Zeus. Um, of those, uh, Ares, as you said very well, is um, <clears throat> well. Let's see. I got. How do we put it in twenty first century terms? Ares is is the ultimate uh, bad boy, uh, stubborn, break everything in his way kind of man. Um, I don't much like Ares, <laughs> but but he uh, you know a, a short temper which. Crosses over some of the Council of War. Uh, did you, you want something broken, killed, and 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 done with? You send out Ares. Uh, I don't. He's not an assassin. Well, he's kind of an assassin for Zeus, <laughs> for his dad. Okay. And then there's Athena, and we sh- and we did talk about her in a different a- a- aspect last week. But Athena, as you said, is the strategist. She want he wants somebody to go in and, and figure out where's the best place to hit a human army. <laughs> Send Ares over here. I'll go over here and take the the flank and whatever. Uh, she's got the bigger picture. He's just the blunt force object. Mm-hmm. Um, who, in in some, depending on how one reads translations, um, uh, takes some joy in it. Um, not as much as some of the other gods of war. I, I think he's he's probably he has less of a sense of humor. If that seems weird to say but uh, and then so when we get to some of those other ones we can talk about that all right um so does he have a backstory like you remember with with athena she kind of popped out of zeus's head and, uh, and she had this really you know this whole well, backstory does does any of that happen with there is he just sort of there um well he's 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 there um I, i'm just looking at some of the notes that i uh, type he, he no his backstory doesn't isn't nearly as interesting I, I i think he he essentially is born and appears mm. um in my you know i in my memory and i, I was looking back through things and, and and uh no he's but he's uh i think the thing that i that i associate most with with him or that i've heard people uh the different scholars point out see he he's hungry mm. he and i don't know if you ever encountered personalities like this in in your time in the military i have encountered uh, very few uh former soldiers veterans who were hungry uh to fight once they'd gone and actually gone through that whether it was mock fights or, or real fights I've encountered one or two who said, oh, yeah, that was just fun. And that kind of scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's Aries. Uh, it's not that it's fun, but he's hungry for the battle. Give me a battle. I feed on battle. Yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting, um, it's it's kind of an interesting mindset. Like you said, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment, right? As yeah. you, 
if you're in the armed forces, you see um, early in your career, you see people who have never experienced anything and they, they act like they're hungry. Right. But then once you, once people tend to encounter things and even in, even in some training stuff, right. Um, a lot of the training has gotten realistic enough where you can get, you know, obviously it's not going to compare to the real thing, but they can get you close enough. I remember one of the things that we did was, um, we had a simulation where they, they built this whole mock town, real, you know, real buildings and everything you can go in and whatnot. And, um, in that town, they, they took our regular M16 rifles and rather than shooting real bullets, we were (laughs) shooting chalk bullets. Ouch. Right. And so, um, so going into it, they were, you know, the instructors were telling us, okay, well, this is, it's just like paintball, right? But it's not because a paintball gun shoots at 600 feet per second and an M16 shoots at 3,600 feet per second. And chalk is a much harder projectile than paint. (laughs) So we were watching the other groups come out who had gone before us with just whole arms purple blood streaming down them from getting hit by these things so immediately you're like okay i do not want to get hit (laughs) and um you know so we're planning out a strategy ahead of time how things are going to go and um who our team members are going to be because you know going into clearing buildings and doing these sorts of things you have a a particular order to the guys in your group Mm -hmm. This guy's going to be the leader. This guy's going to be a point man. This guy's going to be the guy who kicks in the door, so on and so forth. This guy's going to be the rear security, whatever. So we had our whole team planned out. Um, I was supposed to be the the leader of the group. We get up to the the door, so we're the next group to go in. And the guy who's running the thing says, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. Huh. And he mixes up the whole team, right? Oh. So I end up being the rear security guy now. So we go into the town and they have all the buildings built. They have fog machines just pumping in fog. So you can't really see anything. And they're playing all these sounds of people screaming and gunfire and mortar attacks and all the stuff in the background real loud. And um, we start our mission looking for, um, as uh, stereotypical as it's going to be, we had to capture um, a man wearing a red turban. (laughs) (laughs) So we we start going through and... You know, our guys are clearing buildings and doing all this stuff. And the, the, the guy who they had chosen to be the leader of the group, um, was, would have been at all of our last choices. Right. So mm-hmm. they're going around clearing buildings. I'm doing the rear security. So while they're inside the buildings, trying to people, I'm watching the door as people are coming close. So actors in the scene come up to me as civilians, you know, speaking gibberish, trying to offer me things and I have to tell them, okay, please stay back please go go here whatever um and then occasionally be i'll get attacked while they're in the building so there's just me and, and three or four guys are coming and i have to find cover to hide behind and you hear these chalk things just hit whack whack hitting off the walls and stuff and you're all of a sudden your blood is pumping you know you're like oh my gosh like i do not like you know the things you think like oh this is going to be fun or you know i th- i'm going to do something really cool all of a sudden um you're very afraid and that and you know there's moments where doing something that you think this would be very cowardly in real life you think no this is something for self-preservation right now (laughs) you know and then you have to override that you have to realize okay well i'm not going to preserve myself because doing that puts my other guys in danger right 
So then you start trying to, and you, you don't think of that act as bravery. That's just something that you have to do. So you start kind of shooting back and maneuvering and doing different things. And um, long story short, uh, our leader in the group, just just for the comical, uh, for the comical wrap up to the story. Our leader of the group had ended up killing the guy with the red turban within the first five seconds we had been in there, in the simulation. And then the rest of the simulation ended up playing out by him taking the wrong exit out of a building, killing the other four members of the group, and then I had to escape through a town square <laughs> getting shot at, so I was the only one to survive. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, so it was an interesting, uh, so they all came back bloody and welted and purple and, uh, we had lost immediately so um so it was it was you know it was interesting but <laughs> and along aside just to say um yeah war is really uh, once you're in it it's it's something completely different from um the movies or how it's imagined yeah. and, and concepts yeah. of cowardice or bravery are really out the window um to things more accurately represented as self-preservation or self-sacrifice, you know, for mm -hmm. different good. Now, th this is a really first. It's an illuminating story, and, and you've you've had, you've told me more this time. You told me this story once, but you've added some interesting things, and and that's what I love about story because more details emerge. But what you just hit on the human realization, a, a duty. I have a duty to the team, or I have a duty to the unit, or or. You're not thinking in terms of cowardice and heroism and so on. Encourage your, and then you look at a story in, uh, the, such as uh, the Iliad, and and the, the so the long, long fight against uh, trying to take over Troy. Uh, the Greeks battling the Trojans on the field every day, and and the gods intruding. And whenever the gods intrude, they disguise themselves as some humans important to the person that they're, they're intruding with, who usually insult them, who usually say to the human, how you're, you're, you're a disgrace to your father. Your father fought in these battles and did these. So this whole side history, mm -hmm, right. a tangent. And, and, and the, all, all to say, you ought to get out there and try to begin to live up to that kind of courage. It's, it's not human. Right. It, it's goading. Yeah. And you think about Ares, like we talked about a little bit so far, the way he's brutal, the way he's insatiable, the way he kind of hungers for battle and all this sort of stuff. That's not a human thing normally outside of a really pretty severe mental disorder. Yeah. That's yeah. really not the way human soldiers think about things because there's a mortality aspect to it you know not just for you but for your friends and for other you know yeah. other people because you're not going to come back the way some the, the other interesting thing about Ares you did ask about the it's not the same kind of story as Athena but there is a bit of a parallel and and that is um, and this isn't dramatic but Hera has him without Zeus's help hmm. she has some magical herbs so, so here's the ultimate male war being, but his dad really isn't his dad. <laughs> hmm. um, well, here's here's Athena born out of Zeus's head, but sh so she doesn't really have a mom, right? And I, I'm not suggesting that that's true for every single, uh, but the, but this is one of those things we look at in this kind of conversation. Yeah, so, yeah. so what else? 
seems human in psychological terms that might affect how these beings approach things. Right. Um, yeah. Then there's man. There's so much stuff like that with all of these all of these warheads. <laughs> there's always these these little things where you think because people keep adding details because right. they make up the story. Yeah. <laughs> so probably the other thing that I'd like to mention about Ares before we move on is yeah. um, he has his sons and his sons' names in in the Greek stand for fear and terror. You yeah, know, strife. Yeah, and so. Paris. <laughs> yeah, so you know that really, that kind of highlights as well. You know, um, sort of the personality of Aries, and you know another thing too is that you talk about how you didn't like Aries. I'm not sure the Greeks did either, because mm-hmm. in a lot of his story, a lot of his stories revolve around um, him being humiliated in some aspect or another. So you know, it almost makes you wonder if there's a message inherent in the story of Aries. I there think a lot of it is be. resisting. Um, resist being this brutal no mm-hmm. matter what you right because even, even, again you, you don't you hear Ares doesn't show up in that many stories whether he was uh, edited out over years by cultural collective decision making on a conscious level whatever but I think you're onto something with it when, when it's the sheer brutality it's not all that interesting. Mm. Yeah, there's an, there's an element of, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't show up often, but when he does, you have to kind of resist yeah. resist being him. Yeah. So let's move on. So mm-hmm. um, for the Norse, we talked about it a little bit, and it, it's sort of a problem with the Norse trying to figure out who, who the war god is because there's so many of them. And yeah. in, in a lot of cases, I think a lot of people would, would kind of peg Odin as being the war god. Um, we already covered him in our, our king of the gods, um <laughs> well we did so but you and we talked you and i talked about well so there's a tear mm-hmm. or or tires some people but the tears i usually encountered it and then there's thor but the interesting thing is i i think that the norse and i interrupted you and i shouldn't have but I, uh the norse i just want to put this on the table there there seem there's a a kind of class um, structure for these uh, gods. Um, Thor is often represented as the god of the people on the ground, folks. And Odin is uh, the the elite. Uh, Odin, you know, Odin wants knowledge. Odin seeks uh, poetry and the ability to create art and he's and as we said before he watches the world and everything but he he can fight he's a great destroyer but he's but he's not on that level with Thor or Tyr hmm. so in a lot it's yeah it's interesting and this is where we get into like you can't draw parallels between the stories 100% right no, because no um Thor almost acts kind of like a demigod for the Greeks, right? Mm-hmm. He's kind of mm-hmm. there among the people. But at the same time, Thor has a lot of the characteristics of Zeus kind of being, you know, the god of thunder and having, you know, some of these other characteristics. So he kind of, you know, I think that there's a lot of evidence that um, these characters were developed, you know, I 
from their own cultural beginnings in a lot yeah. of points. You know, Thor, Thor is a, also a, 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 a other side note, but because we, uh, you know, if you're breathing, you probably are somewhat vaguely aware of Thor as a character in movies. So you have to like him, doesn't mean you go to those movies and whatever, but. Uh, and and some of the movies of late have gone to the humorous, um, somewhat uh, almost doltish side of Thor, which is really true to the stories. Uh, right. I mean, so, so there's a, there's one of the stories about Thor, God of Thunder. He can <laughs> he can blast you to cinders. He has two goats, flying goats. They never put those in the movie, thankfully. <laughs> you know, um, who he slaughters at night, eats, wraps their bones up in their skin, and in the morning, he or his helpers, these two young people that he has, Thealfi is one of them, uh, has to arrange the bones properly in, in, uh, in the skin so that the goat will come back to life. And one day the boy is helping Thor and he doesn't get the, <laughs> he'd had a bite himself out of the marrow of one of the, and so the, the goat has a limp and Thor goes crazy. <laughs> you know, Thor, there's a cross-dressing Thor story. Right, yeah, that's, that's the one that I was thinking of is that there's a, there's the, it was a frost giant, right? It's, he's yes. thinks it's Thor's sister and he's going to marry him and stuff. And Thor the whole time is just kind of like, rolling his eyes trying to put up with it till it's the right time because he wants his hammer back <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah right so so loki always makes a, a mess out of thor but but it, in in the broader the, what's interesting to me is that thor when you look at the old stories and and, and some of the scholarship of, about these things thor is the protector of the people on the ground, of these the villages and the tribes, he, he can also vent his wrath if you don't give him enough to drink or whatever. Here, and this is appropriate to our own time and the political dialogue, but Tyr Tyr is essentially the war god of law and order. So Tyr's mission is not the same thing as Thor's. Mm. Yeah, and we see that too as we get into um you know a lot of these different ones, especially with, with the Japanese or the Hindu as well, that yes. the different war gods have vastly different missions that at times can even put them at odds with each other, you know. Um and you know, again, that's that's pretty true to life, you know, in a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of cases, you know, somebody who has the interests of one group at heart may not have the interests of another group at heart, even if they're people of the same culture, people of the same nation. You know. You've just hit on the, the essence of <clears throat> Joseph Campbell had this wonderful essay on, in his larger book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And, and in this, he points out that what can seem um, <clears throat> just for one culture is stories about war gods and stories about battle and war itself. Um, we're trying to protect us rather than protect the world. We're trying to do a, a concentration on nations in which everyone else, and this is this is the ancient, I'm not talking about us now, but it applies. It's, it's that when you're focused on a, tr a tribal unit or a nation of some kind, and, and your uh, cult system makes a god of a particular attribute, then you can justify all kinds of things in the name of 
keep the protecting the people in that circle rather than what's best for the entire world as you know it. That's why I think these stories are still more than ever applicable now when you have fragmented units of people who uh, here's a figurehead, here's a figurehead, whatever. And, 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 and this person, everyone else is villainized into subhumanity for the sake of law and order, whatever that concept is supposed to mean. And, and what you're doing is really invoking ancient story mm-hmm. and law and order isn't so pretty depending on which side of, of, of the needs you are. Yeah, again, we're getting into, um, you know, law and order, if you think about it, especially in regards to military and war, is um, it's about establishing a hierarchy, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. a wolf pack, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to establish who fulfills what role. And, you know, we're, I'm not going to tell military stories the entire show, <laughs> but I'll give you one more because it's it, it really is a microcosm of this sort of thing, right? You have the each war god has a different, you know, sort of a different personality to it, and mm-hmm. they might put them at odds with other war gods. Um, but the ultimate goal is, you know, is the good of the people, right? Mm-hmm. And the army is kind of similar. I remember we do in basic training, we do hand to hand combat, right? You get trained on it throughout the entire ten weeks. I don't know. I don't even know if they do it anymore, honestly, because it was already they're kind of phasing out some aspects of it when I went through it. But so the whole nine weeks, you do hand to hand combat and you spar with these people and stuff, and you do these things. And um, the last thing that we did was pugil sticks, which is kind of if you're familiar with like American Gladiator that sort of thing. It's the giant cotton swabs, right? That oh, you fight okay. each other with. Yeah. So that was the last thing, and it was, it was sort of for fun. You'd gone through all the training, all the tests and stuff. Now at the end, they were just going to kind of let you play with these things. Um, but the drill instructor who was in charge of it, it was a pretty sadistic sort of dude to begin with. And on top of that, you know, he said that everybody's going to participate. Um, and those who tried not to, were going to have a bad time. Right? <laughs> so, so, um, you know, I, I really didn't want to, so, you know, we're standing in a circle, you know, watching and then each round, you know, he'd ask for volunteers and two people would show up, they'd fight each other. Um, and then, you know, it would, around you'd go. So after about an hour or so of this, um, you know, he's, he's looking around and saying, okay, cool. Who hasn't, who hasn't gone yet? Right. Nobody's raising their hand. And then he spots me and he says, you haven't gone yet. And you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> and he said, so you're going to go. And he said, you're going to go against the Widowmaker, which is this guy. His last name was Whitaker. And he happened to be six foot five and probably pretty close to 300 pounds. Oh boy. But they called him the Widowmaker, yeah. right? Yeah. So we put on all the pads. But the thing is, um, you know, and there, he, it wasn't just me who didn't raise my hand. There's a few other people. And all of them were what I'd say um, varying levels of character, not character, but um, appetites for violence, mm-hmm. let's say. Okay. Um, okay. So um, some of them did get got destroyed <laughs> for lack of a better term against much long, larger, hungrier opponents for not volunteering. Um, I think the difference for me was that throughout the entire hour beforehand, I had been watching the matches. Um, and so I'd identified a certain preference that the fighters had taken. You'd put on all these pads, including a helmet, 
um, and go out. And uh, it kind of restricted some of your movement. So you were sort of, they were just hitting back and forth, kind of a rowing motion hitting in, in into the shoulders, right? So they put me in there against the Widowmaker. <laughs> and so I did my best to look real scared and kind of cowering. And when they said go, he came running at me, you know, just ready to put me in the ground. So all I did was act like I was cowering a little bit and shift my shoulders towards him. And then when he got close, I just took the end of the stick and just jammed it up under his chin <laughs> and he fell out cold. <laughs> and so I ended up winning the match. But, um, you know, again, so this is, that's kind of, that story sort of highlights different it's representative of different war gods almost, it right? Absolutely you have your Aries and you have your, your, your So were you Aries of... or were you Tyr? No, I think I think the Widowmaker was was Aries. Um and I think the Tyr is probably the drill instructor. Okay. He's the he's the war god of law and order. He's the one who's trying to establish who is where in the hierarchy, who's going to fulfill what roles in the units going forward. You mm -hmm. know? Because mm -hmm. after that point we go on missions, right? you have five-man teams. Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the heavy machine gunner? Who's going to be these sorts of people? Um, and that's really where I got established as a, as a team leader, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, you pick up on qualities. Okay, well, this guy is, he does not have an appetite for violence, but he'll do what he needs to do to get something done. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so there's, yeah, it, you know, and, so different roles, right? It's a great story, though, because it's you. See, and, and I would have, I, I, and in my mind, hearing your story, I think of you as Tyr-like. Um, perhaps even Odin-like, but, but Tyr is, is known for prudence and wisdom. And it takes wisdom to act like something else to mislead your opponent. Loki, there's no god of war. He's just a trickster. He would just mislead and then and 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 then cheat. Right. <laughs> right. You didn't do that. Um Odin is 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 maybe Odin qualities in the in sense of watching, taking the information in. This are your eyes or the birds coming to whisper in your ears is where they're whispering in your eyes. Okay, those and then one stroke. Um, you know, Thor is just bash crash <laughs> with the hammer. You didn't do that. So. But isn't it interesting to think of a, a story like that or think of yourself, even if it, this is what Campbell was trying to have us do. And this is what philosophy tries to have us do is to take the story. And then what do we see in ourselves freshly because of the stories that we're talking about? Right. Yeah. You know, what is you know, what is your own mythology? What is, you know, what do you, the stories say about you and, and what, how do you write your own story in, in that sort of way? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you I, know, and it, it, you, you definitely learn things about yourself. You know, you learn real quick. I'm not a Hercules. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not the one that's going to go in there by brute force and accomplish anything, you know? Right. Um, and you know, that might seem obvious to some people, but it, it's not obvious to everybody because I'm not, I'm not a small person. I'm not a weak person. No, you're, you're so, not you know, you, all, I could, but... I could quite easily think that I am a Hercules, but then you, as you encounter other people and, you know, the wider, you start to establish the wider skill set, um, not of just people in general, but especially mm -hmm. a specific category of people, warriors, right? Mm -hmm. 
And again, it comes back to a very primitive interaction, you know. You're, Which is what the Iliad is like. There you are. You're at the primitive. Who are the who are the over and over again in in this kind of mythology? The warriors are giants. Well, what do we do in our movies? We we get we get these actors who uh, are large. We make them larger. We we build them up and build them. So they were standing next to people, even people who are in good shape. Well, they don't look like anything like a warrior. Why? Because a warrior's got to be this ultra-sized being mm. for some reason. That's ancient. That's primitive. But your story shows that that's not necessarily true. <laughs> yeah, and how it plays out in reality isn't necessarily true. I remember reading an interview with um, Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were asking him about his workout routine, and he was saying how they had him doing all this weightlifting and stuff. And they asked him about cardio. I said, no, I don't do any cardio because that would reduce the amount of muscle mass that I have. So as a result, when they have him doing the scenes where he's filming and, and running and stuff, he said he's just totally winded after each scene because he's not used to doing it. Well, in war, that's not really a great... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you need to be able to run. You need to be able right. to do these things. So lots of times, the, the great warriors are not the giants or not the people that look the most intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, warriors have a, a mixture of tangible and intangible elements um, that make them good at what they do and this is where the fantasy and the mythology and we're really not off on a sidetrack this is a, this is central to what we're talking about this is where the fantasy of the mythology can get in the way of understanding ourselves mm. better because in fact it's unlikely that you can be built uh, an incredible chiseled muscularity of that I mean, I see your arms when we talk. <laughs> you get chiseled, man. But I, but but you're talking about the Chris Evans stuff. But winded, we want in our fantasy to be able to be both big and flexible and fast, and 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 that's not really possible. Right. Then we can either accept that as a fantasy and say, which one am I working on, and who am I, and what can this tell me about me? Or we can think of ourselves as being this this impossible creature that we know we're not. And get ourselves into serious difficulty. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this this is something that plays out, you know, on in mainstream culture all the time, and probably more so prevalently with women. Right? You you have you're subjected to these outside images of things that you should be, and you know, it's really not any different for men. It's just much lower key, right? You look at action figures, or you look at superheroes, and you're still presented with this this unrealistic thing. Um, and like you said, uh, at some point in your life, you either have to accept that it's not a realistic thing or you have to convince yourself that it is and then get yeah. yourself into trouble. Well, you know? I, which is what you what you didn't do. You said, I'm not the widow maker. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go I, punch for punch with this guy because it's not going to I'm not going to. No, <laughs> I have to be wise. I have to be prudent. I have to be observant. I cannot be brute force. Mm, right. And I think that's what some of the stories tell us when some of the gods of war fail and when they succeed. Because there is a learning thing going on. Thor has to learn things. Mm -hmm. He doesn't learn all that much. But, <laughs> but if you read the whole body of stories, Neil Gaiman has this wonderful re redoing of, of, of Norse mythology. It's called Norse mythology, and it's just brilliant. And it retells so many of these stories. And you do see that Thor has... He picks up some things, but he's still pretty much a lout. 
Not so much in the movies, but even in the movies, he's he's he become he becomes self aware. But but the moment that he starts becoming self aware and steps away, uh, finding himself falling out of what he thinks of himself, that's where his life goes all messy in the mm-hmm. in the movie narratives. That's that's the interesting part. Yeah, yeah. So Thor, you know, he is. He's an interesting character, and and again, he has a humorous element to him, and, and, yeah. and all these things. So, moving ahead, you're gonna have to help me with this name, but um, we have the the Hindu god of war, Kardakeya. Kardakeya, yeah. and so he's he's going to be vastly different from Ares or Thor, yeah, um, yeah. because he's he's much more um, kind of along the lines of what we've just been talking about. Um, he's more of a philosopher, yeah, he, kind he, of warrior. He guy. is. He's he's uh, he's the son of gods who are supposed to save the gods. So he's he's not. Um, it's it's not this being is created and then we throw him out to destroy humans. This we're back to the Hindu complexity. Right? So. Uh, you, you probably read this this version too, but I but I like this one. So uh, Shiva and his wife Parvati created a being with five faces. A glowing spark emerged from each face. So just picture it. It's like bubbles. Hmm. You know, and then a bubble splits into a bubble, and so we have five faces spark from each face. The five-faced being goes into the river, the Ganges River. The five sparks float out, each form a child. So we've got a face that becomes a child, floating each, each one differently. Young women find them, they take them, they nurse them uh, in, in, into childhood. And and there we have that same thing, Moses in the basket. We have all, every mythological system has that kind of element. But then Shiva and Parvati take their children back. It was one, but now it's many. They take them back, and they didn't know how they're going to take care of all of them. And so Shiva merged the children into one being with six heads, one for each of the children, representing the five senses and a final head to combine the senses into one. So we don't have this big hulking widowmaker, this Thor with a hammer. We have a six-headed being that started out as a five-headed being that was split into five different people that is put back together with an extra head added to guide all the other aspects of that being. And you have to have all of that in order to defend the gods, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a super complex story. And the other thing that's pretty interesting about it is that um, it's an it's a very old story. Kind of like mm-hmm. again, reflecting what we were talking about, looking at the biological role that conflict and violence plays in life. Um, Kardakeya is one of the most old. Um, integral stories in in the Hindu religion. It is. Yeah. Um, something that really strikes me about him, and again, this gets back, you know, into the the, the deeper elements of what these gods stand for, is that they make a point of saying how he's ever youthful, mm-hmm. right? Kardake is ever youthful. Mm-hmm. What do you think that says about warriors? About gods of war about about conflict i think that it's well and i i, I may take it wrong i mean i'm not practicing I, I don't practice hinduism but i've studied it it's um and so i know it from the academic a little bit 
But being 62 and being reminded, um, life reminds you, you're not 20 and whatever. But I, I also re- have, uh, you come to realize over years of studying philosophy and thinking and just living that the useful aspect doesn't have to mean absolutely physical usefulness. Now, yes, he's, he's represented this way, and that may well be the intent. But I think that if you're, <clears throat> you say this God is a, a God of power and, um, and, and strength, but he's a God also of the five senses that are integrated through a sixth path. So usefulness is paying attention to your five senses and the wisdom to figure out where you're going and what you need to do. There's the usefulness. Learning. (laughs) For me, it's a story of learning. It's a story of mindfulness and power. He's got a, a spear. He also was on a peacock. Mm. How many other heroes do you know who would ride a peacock and be considered powerful and strong, <laughs> right? We, we have chariots. Well, we have goats, too. <laughs> we, 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 we have clouds that they float in on, and we're flying with hammers and everything, but anyway, peacocks, and, and, and the, which are beautiful birds, but which also can be fierce birds. So there's a, there, there can be beauty and ferocity. There can be wisdom and power. And all of those together suggest youth, literally, but they also suggest a kind of youthfulness, figuratively. Yeah. Yeah, he's just really one of the most complex characters we look at, right? Because you, I know that I just, I look at it and I think, man, this could be saying so many different things. And I'm not sure what <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. what it is, but yeah. Through the blessings of Lord Kartikeya, one can achieve great strength and get rid of all his woes. Well, okay, sure. (laughs) Right. But um, his peacock represents him as the destroyer of all bad habits and a conqueror of overwhelming desires. Now, there's where there's an element of, 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 one might say, Buddhism floating into this. There's there's, there's, this strange bound um, the flexible boundary with, with all of it but it's not just about going out and breaking things yeah it's almost as if what's being said is that he's the god of war but really he's kind of a god of even inner war inner conflict yes right so I the so. the ability to be self-disciplined to <clears throat> to wage your inner battles and, and overcome your bad habits or the things that you you wrestle with yourself. As a Westerner, that's how I take it. Now, I, that's someone who practices Hinduism would probably just <laughs> what are you guys laugh up say, What are you talking about? This is, and I would welcome that conversation because that that again would be a learning conversation. But I think we can. Uh, if you can't um, understand a story in its own context, then you should try because that's it arises out of the culture. So I'm not saying just forget all that. Let's just be Western. But I think that also powerful stories will speak uh, to many different cultural contexts and help us be better within ourselves, even if we don't necessarily practice 
the, uh, um, the cultural uh, rituals and um, norms of a theological system. Right. Yeah, and we've talked about it in the past with art forms, right? Whether you're writing a song or painting a picture or writing a story that, um, you know, lots of times, especially as somebody who does a lot of those things myself, mm -hmm. people come up to me and say, oh, yeah, this is what I think that, you know, this is what this means to me. And it's probably 90 to 95% of the time something completely different than what mm -hmm. I meant when I was mm -hmm. writing the story, right? Um, but that's fine yeah, because, like you said, I think that they're using it to draw an insight into their own lives. Now, obviously, there's there's a more sensitive nature to religious and theological um, yes. stories. But the thing that you just said, the the, the the wisdom in that little kernel is, with if we hear somebody, somebody says to you, and you've heard this as an artist, this is what this means to me. That's far enough. Yeah. Right? What because am I going to do? Say, oh, well, no, this is what it actually means. Well, if you're Aries, yes. You know. No, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what it means. It, the fact that it means something, that meaning is being making, is being make it made. <laughs> that old English coming up. I'm making my meaning. It's, it's, I think that's the most exciting thing that some process, some dynamic, relationship even within the mind of someone who hears the music has taken place mm -hmm. yeah and again it's that you know it's inner conflict right mm -hmm. you're you're bringing in new information and you're you're um yeah you have cognitive dissonance and then you're settling it with with your other your other settled information and, and creating something new and you've integrated that spark you've integrated one of those heads into yeah your, yeah <laughs> The symbolism is there, so we might be completely wrong, but I like it. <laughs> so let's move on to Mantu. So okay. it's the the Egyptian yeah. war god. Yeah. What can you tell us about Mantu? All right. Uh, some war gods have sacred animals, so bull and a falcon in his in in, in his case. Um, I I I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I don't know any many stories about Mantu really. Um, but there's a because of the ancientness, I think some of these characters, just like Saga, when we were talking about the, the goddess of, of the, you know knowledge and wisdom, but also writing, uh, we know attributes. It's like it's like uh, I don't want to trivialize it, but it's like going into a game, finding a playing card. <clears throat> Here's the attributes of this character. Right, but without a story, so then you end up telling the story. I, I think Bantu would probably be a good character in this. I don't know this game. You might uh, Gods of War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's. I know there's a game out there. Mm -hmm. um, because I think part of that is making up stories. Yeah, yeah. With, with them. But what what we know is it, uh, uh, a two plumed crown, a uh, falcon head or a helmet that's a falcon head, but usually a, a physical falcon head. Um, well, there was something I wanted to... Uh, a balancing force between two conflicting aspects of life. A symbol of duality. Because he's protecting the 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 Egyptian um, 
entity. <laughs> but he's also enforcing order. <laughs> so right. we're, we're back to that again. Yeah, and so the Egyptian story, what's kind of, it has a nice symbolism to it because Montu is the destructive aspect of Ra. Yeah. Right. So you look at the sun god Ra. Um, for a pasty white guy like me, it's probably the sunburn, right? That's Montu. is <laughs> 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 the destructive aspect. But, you know, there's a duality there, right? Because I might go out in the sun and get a sunburn, but I might get that sunburn um, tending to the crops that ultimately feed me that are created by the sun mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so there's there's the duality and in war there's that duality as well you know you might you, you know again there's the destructive aspect where you you're going to lose men in battle you know mothers are going to lose sons and, and and wives are going to lose husbands and stuff in battle but ultimately if if you succeed in defending your homeland or taking new territory or whatever there is an aspect that feeds the culture you know yes. so yeah. So I like that's what I like about Montu is that I think that that duality is very present. present. You know, they yeah. they don't yeah. hide the there's no uh, glossing over the destructive aspects of it um, while talking about the you know the the, the positive aspects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I like where you're where you're going with that because it does tie back to your stories. It ties back to what we. But it also goes back to Campbell, because I think that that the most ancient of stories that are actually stories, like the Iliad again, and the god, the war gods, and all kinds of gods intruding, um, you know, essentially the 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 queen of a very powerful king in Greece uh, goes with the ruler. Of Troy, war is launched because of a relationship, mm. and time and time again, the the soldiers, the warriors, Odysseus and the rest of them, gather in council and say, "Why are we doing this? As as if uh, we've been doing this for years. Are we are we doing this to bring her back to the king? Is it is it there? Is it loot? Is it and it is loot? Treasure for us. Bring back the boats and the war, you know, the armor and all. That. Or is it glory for the the Achaeans or the Greeks or glory for the Trojans? Um, and and so they they keep morphing or losing sight of, well, not losing sight of, the sight of the original reason seems to be less and less meaningful. And in the, the Greek gods of wars, essentially slap the humans up the side of the head and say, you're here to be warriors and do this. This was why you came and this is what you're going to do. Mm. Um, perhaps a drill sergeant in some way. That way. <clears throat> but I think the, the beings like Mantu, um, with this duality that you were just describing so well, this uh, I think they they cause us to realize that that as uh, as stories grow to be more sophisticated, or as the people who are reading or hearing about these beings not sophisticated are, are more aware of the larger world in some ways, perhaps we can't be ancient Greeks, right? <laughs> um, that we realize that maybe the reasons for war have to be seriously reconsidered. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, 
there's a lot of modern parallels to all of that. <laughs> you know, you can think about all all the uh, the ways that that can is reflective of you know the the modern culture that we mm-hmm. live in. Um, but yeah, I think that 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 is the 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 strength of Montu is is kind of that reminder. You know, okay, there's positive and there's negative aspects. Where are you finding this this balance point? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at our last one. Um, which is the Japanese one of the Japanese gods of war, um, Hachiman. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, and he's he's another one that's that's pretty interesting. And there's mm-hmm. uh, there's some parallels you can draw between him and uh, Kardakeya. <laughs> what do you see is similar to him and Kardakeya? Because I agree with you. They're they're there. Those. Um, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a knowledge aspect. Behind them, Hachiman, uh, he's he's generally less considered the god of war than um, the teacher of warriors, really. Good. Yes. So there's the instructional aspect, the yeah. wisdom aspect. Um, the other thing I find interesting about him is he's also looked at as the god of archery or fishing or agriculture, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that there's an overarching theme of life cycles there, right? You know, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. there's a a birth and then there's a uh there's a culling for lack of a better word you know Mm -hmm. that happens among all of these things you know whether it's war or or fishing or or agriculture there's um this raising up and then you know kind of a a cultivating sort of thing yeah um yeah what can what can you tell us about him he's well he's let's start with what he's best known for um which is the the use of uh, destructive winds called kamikaze, hmm. uh, fierce wind, uh, uh, fiery spirited wind, which, you know, World War II, people would talk about the kamikaze, but it, it goes back to the samurai warrior aspect. So essentially, as I understand it, as a warrior, you have to be precise. Thus, the archery. Uh, so that's why the, the a famous book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was followed up by Zen and the Art of Archery. Um, and and I've I am not an archer. I like archer characters. I've act, I do shoot arrows occasionally in a, a bale of straw, <laughs> and that's fun because it's focused um, in a different way than I think shooting a gun. Is you know, I've done that um, because it feels more. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about uh, super duper high tech bows. Mm-hmm. Talking about you're going to feel the wind. You're going to. You're not going to have mechanisms to help you guide it in a, a telescopic lens. It's just the bow, your arm strength, the aim, the eye, all of it um, together. Hammer with sword, it doesn't. I mean, it takes strength, of course, right? But it does. That doesn't sort of work. And 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 the spear, which the Greeks used a lot, in which um, Mantu is is known for. I'm not, I'm not denying the spear is an awful weapon. It's a, a powerful weapon, but I think there's more of a process that that archery mm-hmm. involves. So, so Hashiman's primary purpose is in Shinto, in, in the Japanese uh, belief of Shinto, which which says, it's, it's really humanistic, 
we aren't all good. We aren't all bad. Uh, <clears throat> we have this constant wrestling with ourselves. But the badness, that, the evil that we do find is often uh, caused because we've let in ka kami, uh, spirits of various kinds, millions of different kinds of spirits. And Hashiman, his, his, his goal is to battle the kami. So, yeah, that, there we're looking at that, that parallel with Kardakei, right? Where it's, again, gods of war, but it's almost gods of internal war. You know, you're, looking, yeah. you're fighting these internal this, battles, you know? Yeah. Fiercely with wind of yeah. some kind inside. But. That's, and those, to me, that's a really interesting perspective that you don't see with the Western, the Western gods of war as much. You know, there tends to be, it's, it's all an external sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, he's just a real interesting kind of character. <laughs> and and he's is in, in the ancientness and the otherness of I think it's also the otherness of of the, the, the traditions that, that we look at. Even, even though we're not ancient Greek, we're more used to the ancient Greek. And so when you see something being more introspective, you say, Oh, I like that. It's 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 new or fresh yeah. to us. Or can be do you have you done archery? Yeah, yeah, I've done a little bit. Um, it is different. It's especially different for me because I have mixed dominance, which is where I have a dominant left leg and left eye, but a dominant right arm, which leads to some weird things. I shoot a rifle right-handed, but I shoot a bow left-handed. Interesting. Um, so I, you know, it's, I, I struggle with it. <laughs> also but, sounds like elements of a God of War, though. <laughs> I use this weapon this way, but I use this weapon. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's it's interesting, right? Because you say that you know, we're more habituated to these Western gods, the Norse and the Greek and stuff. But really, it's they have a they have a different culture from us as well. You know, they have they have an undeniable influence on our stories. Mm -hmm. um, and America is not an old nation, but I think that's kind of an interesting um, exercise in philosophy that we, we might want to save for another time. Is looking at what is the American mythology, right? Uh. What do we? You know, what do our our gods of war? Are, yeah, heavily influenced by the Greeks and the Norse, but I think there'd be totally different aspects to our characters. You know what what they say. You know, Neil Gaiman's book that I, I keep coming back to is called American Gods, and it's about the ancient gods. And we and we can we can talk about this someday. But just you know, it's it's gods of every tradition. Hmm. All brought to these shores because we're we're migrants, we're immigrants. We we all have come from immigrants, and and so all the little household gods and the large and the you know all mix it up. But the American gods are killing off some of the other gods. The American gods are the gods of capitalism and technology. Hmm. And I won't go further with it, but that's yeah. <laughs> they're I, iter physical iterations of these things. Yeah, I haven't read. I haven't read the book, but I can see parallels between a god of capitalism and a god of war. I can tell you, mm -hmm. <laughs> I can definitely see some some things that would be comparable. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's uh, it was a great great talk. And until next time, keep pondering.